teacher's voice. As vozes do professor. As vozes do professor. Là aussi, il y a Wadi. La voix des enseignants. Bien, 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 bien. Eh, eh, eh. Teacher's voices. Teachers' Voices is a series of podcasts from Bold, the digital platform on learning and development, made of fascinating stories from teachers around the world, talking in their own words about their specific stories and context. In each episode, you will listen to inspiring conversations between international experts on learning and child development, and me, your host, Nina Alonso. For the past 10 years, I have been devoted to improving equal access to education. Now I want to share with you powerful stories from teachers talking in their own words about their experiences. Welcome to another episode of Teachers' Voices. In this episode, we will explore the importance of motivation and self-esteem in children's learning. And when you've listened to these inspirational stories, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who might also be interested in developing young learners' self-esteem. Listening today as three educators share their stories about instilling self-respect and motivation in young primary school children while teaching a love of other cultures and languages in an international school in the Bahamas, developing teenagers' capacities to learn from their peers through experiential learning with filmmaking techniques in Perth, Australia, and setting the necessary conditions to support the development of each student's particular identity in their learning processes in Madrid, Spain. But before we welcome the educators and their stories, I am delighted to welcome Eddie Brumelman, a researcher whose work sits at the intersection of psychology and educational science. Eddie studies children's growing understanding of themselves as individuals, how children develop self-views, how these self-views shape mental health and educational outcomes, and how interventions that target self-views can help at risk children flourish. Good morning, Eddie. Hello, how are you? Good morning, Nina. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I would like to start by asking you about self-esteem and children. How do you think children develop self-esteem? Well, children develop self-esteem from a very young age. It is primarily based on the experiences of competence and uh, acceptance. So for a child to develop high self-esteem, it's important to feel competent. The child should feel capable to do the things that he or she wants to do, uh, but also to feel accepted that people around them value and appreciate them for who they are as individuals. Great. And why is it then so important to consider the role of self-esteem in a learning environment? Well, self-esteem shapes how children look at themselves, but also how they look at their social environment, but also how they look at their schoolwork. And when a child has low self-esteem, it often means that a child has low confidence in, in their abilities, might avoid uh, challenging tasks, might not be willing to persist on a task because they think, I might not be able to do this. Um, so self-esteem can get in the way of, of learning. And therefore, it's, it's important to be aware of a child's level of self-esteem. When a child has low, low self-esteem, it basically means that the child's basic psychological needs are not being met in that very moment. A child might not feel competent. A child might not feel socially accepted. And as a teacher, you can help 
counteract those experiences and help raise a, a child's self-esteem and to promote learning. Okay. What is the role of, of praise in building self-esteem? Does praise raise children's self-esteem and motivation? Well, since the 1970s, Western society has become convinced that praise is perhaps the most effective way to raise self-esteem. There are many intervention programs in schools that teach parents and teachers to, to, to give praise. But research shows that praise is often not effective to raise self-esteem. In fact, in some cases, praise can even lower self-esteem. For instance, my own work shows that when a child has low self-esteem, parents and teachers often want to give extremely positive, inflated praise to the child. So instead of telling the child, whoa, you did a good job, teachers tell them, whoa, you did an incredibly uh, amazing job. And that inflated praise that is well-intended and that, that aims to raise self-esteem can actually lower self-esteem because it sets a really high standard for kids. So when you tell a child that he did incredibly well now, he automatically infers, well, the adult expects me to do incredibly well all the time. And that is, of course, not possible because a child's life is, of course, full of setbacks. And that is critical for learning. But inflated praise can make children feel bad about themselves. So in some cases, praise is not effective. And I think praise, at its very core, it is positive, but it's also an evaluation. And children don't always like being evaluated by others. And if it, then if a child has low esteem, are there some techniques that could potentially help raise their self-worth? Or is anything else we know, like probably inflated self-esteem, as you said, probably doesn't usually help? Yes. So if we think about the two pillars of self-esteem, competence and, and, and acceptance, I think two strategies are really important to help raise a child's self-esteem. To raise competence, it's really important for children to feel that they are making progress on, on something that they care about. Uh, and children might sometimes be inclined to compare themselves with classmates, to compare themselves with others uh, on tasks that they do. Uh, but as a teacher, it's important to help children compare themselves with their previous self in order to help them see how much they've, they've improved and what they've learned over time. And that re it's really important for giving children this desire for learning. That's also what our research shows, that when children make these, and we call that temporal comparisons, they see how they've improved over time. Children are not very interested in standing out from others anymore. They're really interested in improving themselves and learning and, and, and taking on challenges. And another strategy, if you look at uh, social acceptance, is to make a child feel accepted and valued uh, for who they are as individuals. Sometimes, especially in school, we might think that our approval is contingent on children's behavior and achievements, but it's important for children to feel accepted and valued uh, unconditionally. They should feel that you as a teacher, that you are there for the child, even when he or she misbehaves or even when he or she gets low grades. So it's important to convey this idea that I'm there for you, I'm a, I'm a resource for you, I'm there to help you learn and improve and grow in this environment uh, and I'm not gonna abandon you. That's very interesting. So really I see that really teachers have a, a role in, in influencing the self-esteem of their students so do you have like any very concrete tips that you could share with us today to do what you've told us? When we see a child who has low self-esteem we often feel empathy and we want to do something about it. And we often feel inclined to just give praise. Uh, 
to help raise self-esteem. But it's important to ask in that very moment, why does a child has, have low self-esteem? What is happening in, in the social environment that causes that? Does the child feel that he or she is not making progress? Does he or she feel like people in their environment don't accept them for who they are? And once you understand where the low self-esteem is coming from, there are very concrete steps you can take to help raise self-esteem. And I think also as teachers, what is reassuring, I think one of the most effective ways to raise self-esteem is to help children learn. And learning in itself is an important means to to raise self-esteem. So once a child feels that he or she is making progress and is learning a lot, self-esteem grows and increased self-esteem then also helps a child stay engaged with the task. So there are bidirectional associations between between self-esteem and, and, and learning. With Eddie's fascinating research in mind, it's now time to turn our attention to the voices of three dedicated teachers. We start in the Caribbean region, where Kaylee teaches Spanish as a second language to very young children. She goes to different classrooms to teach different groups. As it is early in the morning and her school day has not started yet, Kaylee is waiting for us in a classroom where she has arrived early to prepare the material she needs for her class before her first students arrive. Kaylee believes passionately in the value of teaching and learning about different languages and cultures, and she describes her students and the kind of learning environment that she creates for them to appreciate genuinely Spanish language and culture. I've been teaching for three years, and I think the one thing teaching across different age groups, that's teaching a middle school and now teaching primary school, that's from PK1, oh my goodness, PK1, They're three years old um, and going all the way to grade five. Of course, the strategies are often different. I see my students engaged. I see them, them really love being in the classroom environment that, I, that I've created for them. Creating an environment that, that allows my students to love Spanish for its culture, for the differences that it presents between what we do as Bahamians or as native English speakers or as learners of a second language versus what they're doing um, to highlight those differences and for them to see that it's okay for it to be different. I think that's one of the things that have allowed my students to be so receptive to my class, so receptive to my style and way of teaching, and so receptive to Spanish in general. Kaylee gave me an example of how she makes young children realize rich cultural differences in a practical way. In a Spanish culture, usually you find that people are more prone to kissing, giving a little kiss. And they're like, ah, no, don't kiss me. Because of course, in my culture, it's, it's more, I guess the students, you, you may give a hug, you may give a sideways hug, you may give a dap or a handshake. That's something that's more accepted. So even something talking about something as simple as how people greet and how greetings are different, those kinds of things help the language to be more than just conjugating verbs or learning vocabulary, but it becomes real. As Kaylee emphasizes the importance of creating an engaging environment that allows the students to be who they are. I ask her about the kind of strategies that she uses to infuse self-confidence in her students' learning processes. I think giving your students voice, 
I'm, I'm so grateful for this this program because it gives voice to me. But sometimes you you observe classes and you observe environments where the teacher talks for the entire 30 minutes. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, cool. You shared. But I think in my classroom, the one thing when I just think about it, my students are constantly speaking. They have avenues to share their, their opinions. We've created a space where they feel okay to share, where we know that, hey, if someone says something that's different from me, we're not going to say, ah, no, what are you talking about? No, we don't do that. We've also created an environment where, it's, where our ideas and opinions, although different, are respected. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the earlier years, it's harder to, you have to really teach it. Because they're like, ah, no, you said something different from what Senorita Starb said. And you have, you have to really explicitly exp- explain to them, no, that's okay. That's okay if, if John is thinking something different from Zane or, you know, it, it is okay. Or it's okay if at this stage, Rosie says, oh, my, my, my family, we don't do that. And they're like, nope, I'm not going to do it. It is okay. So I think giving the students the, the time to discuss their opinions and the voice in the classroom, I think that's also important. Kaylee wanted to share with us one teaching experience related to self-esteem and motivation that she particularly appreciated. I've seen um, one child in particular, let's call her Lucy. Lucy, she initially very, very shy. And that's something that I mentioned earlier is it's normal in a Spanish class. Not only shy, but I think also because she has other areas of concern that, that are constantly being highlighted and trying to be built. Just me giving her a high five, I think it made her more receptive to even try and say do, domingo or, whatever, or try to say the word. And I think that that for me is important. Yes, we have expectations. Yes, we have objectives. We go into the classroom saying, hey, this is the structure that we want our children to learn. But I have to realize when I come into that particular class and I have Lucy, that hmm, I have to ensure that Lucy feels so comfortable and yet so confident that she's able to push behind, push past the things and the, the limitations that she may think her disability places on her. But beyond that, learning a new language. For Kaylee, praising her students is important, and so I wanted to finish our chat asking about how she uses praise in her teaching practice. In Spanish and in any language learning environment, you have sometimes this thing that's called the effective filter complex, where students, and even me, when I was learning it, you're very shy. You don't want to make a mistake. You're like, oh my gosh, am I going to say it wrong? Have I said it wrong? And sometimes when that is so strong, students aren't willing to try. Mm-hmm. So I think another thing that we as language teachers have to do is break that barrier, break that complex that students have to say, no, I'm not going to leave. Even if I have the answer, I'm not going to say it. And praise is one way that that helps to break that I've realized. When you say, oh, muy bien, excelente. Oh, you know, and you're not always so quick to correct. Feedback can come at the end of the session rather than being immediate. So, for example, instead of if you notice that a student has forgotten, I'm teaching feminine and masculine. And the fact that if, if I'm describing myself as a woman, I have to use a feminine set of adjectives. Yeah. So instead of saying comico, I would say comica. And if I notice that's happening when students speak, especially female girl students, I'm not going to be so quick to say ah, it's comica versus comico. No. After the entire session and the students have even tried and, and said what they have to say, oh, please remember, ojo, keep a special eye out for, 
feminine and masculine and just have a quick review session rather than pinpointing issues that students may have, pinpointing errors that they may have. So I think it's all about the approach and the level of praise and enthusiasm we give. From the Caribbean with Kaylee, we travel across the world to Australia. There, Mark welcomes us in his family house in Perth. While my day in Europe has just started, Mark's children have just gone to bed, but he doesn't sound tired at all. He's both joyful and enthusiastic, and he tells us about his student and professional motivation. Mark first described the kind of context he teaches in, and also wanted to share his own experience as a student on how that inspired his own teaching style. Yeah, the students come there either internationally because they can't quite get into, uh, you know, Australian universities with their current, you know, or their background uh, educational ability, and that's just, you know, a standardised thing. Um, so, yeah, another way to look at MIT is maybe like a preparation for university. So that's one thing that we offer. So one thing I'll talk about a little bit first before getting into a teaching example is myself. I kind of grew up uh, and I had a lot of actually negative teachers. <laughs> so I had a lot of teachers I felt as a student They put so much emphasis on, you know, being the A-grade student and I was not an A-grade student. And I seemed to go to schools that celebrated, you know, those that got the high grades and they didn't kind of do anything for anyone that was kind of getting the Cs or the Bs, you know, or, or, or failing. They didn't seem to help anyone. And I think, and I guess that then becoming an adult and then when I became a teacher and I remember sort of sitting there, I noticed again, uh, you know, like my mentor teachers, you know, again, celebrating the students that were doing really well. And, of course, that is an important thing to do is to, you know, keep saying, you know, these are these are great benchmarks. And But I guess there was a part of me, my little mark, my, my inner mark, that was kind of saying, well, hang on, we got forgotten a little bit about as a kid and that really knocked our confidence. And I was sort of reflecting on it in a teaching mode that, hey, why don't I just try to build up a student's confidence? So it's something that I've always really tried to approach my, with all of my teaching uh, is to build a student's confidence. So sort of really starting off with the basics that a lesson is totally scaffolded in that. And then when we, when we talk about something like the media, it's kind of like asking a, an open-ended question to start with, you know, an opinionated question and really imploring the students to go, have a go at this question. You can't actually get it wrong. <laughs> and, and then me as a teacher really over-celebrating responses from students so that it's trying to, again, give them some confidence. And, and here I'm saying to them, yeah, we'll get into the theory and we'll talk about effects. And, yeah, there will be some, like, right, wrong answers, of course. But this is an opinion question. Your opinion matters. Your opinion is right. It doesn't matter who's sitting next to you and what they're saying. Your opinion is just as valid as theirs. And it's something that then I have noticed is a real big blessing on a student's work because then I see them turn around and sort of go, oh, 
my teacher, you know, Mark, he doesn't mind that my answer is only very short or he doesn't mind it's really long. He doesn't mind what I'm looking, you know, exactly what I'm saying. He's valuing my opinion. And I guess I'm trying to treat them all like how I would have liked to be treated a little bit in boosting their confidence. And what I have seen is numerous students, those sort of 16 year olds, and they just start to totally blossom. I wanted Mark to tell us about a student who had shown visible learning gains thanks to finding the inner motivation that adapted to his needs and interests. He's an example that I relay constantly, you know, since having him as a student, is that it was one of the best presentations I've ever seen because he just hopped up to so this guy that's not super confident uh, at the start of the trimester, you know, by week eight, he's hopping up and he's doing this amazing presentation about body piercings and <laughs> tattoos. And it was one of those moments where me as a teacher, and I literally couldn't write feedback on my marking guide for him because I was actually mesmerized by his presentation skills. Mark also wanted to share with us a practice he uses that works well to give his students enjoyment, confidence and motivation. A little fun activity that is always great, and I've done, I've done this actually with young students, like 13-year-old students, and I've done it with older students, is you basically take a rectangle. So you take, say, like an A4 bit of paper, and you just cut out a rectangle. So you've still got the border of a rectangle of, say, the A4 bit of paper, And you say to them, okay, take that out with a partner and pretend like you're taking photos. And so you'd like literally just take that outside of the classroom, then just get like, you know, one person is the model or the actor and the other person is the camera operator. And it's a really good physical uh, activity because then they're holding up the rectangle. Like you and I are talking right now, film is always a rectangle, you know, 16 by nine. So you're holding up the rectangle and you start to see the world like it is a film. And so it's a really fun activity that students get to physically pretend like they're taking photos, but not even taking photos. That's a really valuable thing that I learned as a teacher in my early years was actually, yes, yeah, students together with an activity that you as a teacher devise or, you know, you're getting them to do. Like just that way that it, they can learn from each other is, is so powerful. <laughs> Sometimes more powerful than the teacher, unfortunately, I think. You know, it's osmosis almost that they kind of suck off each other's energy of the learning exercise. And lastly, in this episode, we make a final visit to Spain. Here, we land in a private school in a wealthy residential area in the outskirts of a large city, Madrid. It is a school day and Marisa generously talks to us during her lunch break from one of the teacher's rooms in the busy school where she teaches English. One of her students is just leaving the room and Marisa is opening the window to let her in, happy to be on her own for a moment and be able to talk to us without her mask on. Hello, Nina. I, I was wearing my mask. I, I, was, <laughs> I was like a muzzle. I find it fascinating how teachers' own motivations leave a long-lasting positive imprint in the lives of young people. And so I started by asking Marisa, why is she a teacher? So the, reason, the main reason why I teach is because I, I love learning. So um, being a language teacher lets me 
have a cooperative relationship with my students. I learn every day and they learn every day, which is um, the fascinating thing. Marisa thinks that making teenage students feel emotionally supported and understood is key to facilitating any learning progress. Sometimes they have issues who are very deep and they are not transparent. I mean, you can't, you can't always see through. So speaking to them or learning from the way they behave, from the way they work, is really important. Observation is really important too. And one of the boys in, in the class who is very, very concerned about his grades um, remained in the classroom when everyone else had left. And uh, I, was, I was very sure he was going to ask me about his grades and how how well he had done, if he was good enough, blah, blah, blah. So when I asked him, okay, what can I do for you? He, surprisingly, he, he was in tears um, and he could only say, I, I just stayed behind because I wanted to thank you. And I said, well, thank you. I, I'm, I don't think I've done anything special. I'm just teaching you. You're a good student and I'm, I'm sure I'm, I, I, I want to do my best for you. He said, no, you, you don't really understand what I mean. What do what you mean? Well, I've gone through a very bad path. I've suffered from bulimia. Um, this boy also has some, some personal issues with, with his own identity. So you, you can see that. You can see that reflected in his face. He was thanking me for just being there and being able to see through. And that was a very, very emotional moment for me because I think part of the teaching process is to observe your own students and to figure out what they need in each moment. Um, for me, that was one of the best and most rewarding moments in my teaching life. You have just listened to the testimonials of educators who put their hearts into teaching practices and interactions with learners that seek to improve young people's self-esteem. Kaylee, Mark and Marisa might teach from different geographies to different age groups a variety of subjects, but they all have in common a special interest in developing motivation strategies that pay attention to individual needs. If you would like to find out more about Eddie's work or about the teachers' stories we have just heard, head to the BOLD website. You can also enter there your comments in dialogue with other experts and teachers. Please follow the series and stay tuned. In the next episode, we will be talking about multilingualism in a culturally diverse educational world. You can listen to Teachers' Voices on your favorite podcast platforms and on bold.expert. There is a new episode coming every other week. Don't forget to follow us. Voices de Profesores. Teachers' Voices.